Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. And Flynn, it has arrived. <laughs> We're going to discuss no nukes. I said in the last episode, expectations can be the devil, but this lived up to it. Oh, yeah. this uh, The film is amazing. The audio is just blows everything away. And I'm going to be listening to this one for a while. I'm not a viewer. I'm not, I don't view a lot of stuff on, on my television, but uh, this audio is going to stick around for a long time. It lives up to the hype. Now, it's a flawed document, and we'll get into that in a little while. But to take nothing away, whatever flaws that are there, and they're, and they're there because of how it was filmed, and, and that was addressed in the John Killick essay that accompanies the liner notes, every frame of this is awesome. From the first frame to the last frame, it's like they are shot out of a cannon. The explosive energy, and I think part of that, of course, is that because it's only 90 minutes, he gave it, it's one long extended encore. Even on the River Tour, of course, there were highs and there were lows, there were ebbs. That's how he constructs a show. This was just explosive for 90 minutes and... It's incredible to watch. There's just no other way to say it. <laughs> well, when you you say they were shot out of the cannon, and actually that's that's a pretty apt metaphor. They had been holed up in a studio for the previous six months working on what would become the river, and they hadn't played at all. I mean, they hadn't played at all since since January 1. And so they had that energy that was it was stored up and they were ready to ready to release it. Yeah, they really were. And just starting with Prove It, I mean, every version is just dead on. I love the Jungle Land myself. Oh, I mean, my God. Obviously, yes. I'm a huge fan of Jungle Land to begin with. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. But just to see that the performance and, and the Clarence sax and everything that that song contains Look, it's mammoth, and and we talked about it a couple of episodes ago that this was probably going to be the best representation of the band in its prime. I don't think there's any question that is now the case. The Hammersmith is, is I think, a better-looking film in many ways, but this just captures the band at a peak that, unfortunately, they just don't have anything else that's going to live up to this. They were at their performing peak, 78 to 81. Uh, I'm not I don't think there's any doubt. And if there is doubt, then you're not watching or haven't watched or haven't listened. Uh, going back to your jungling and comment, I'm going to go go out on a limb. Maybe it's not that big of a big of a limb that this is the best recorded version that they've ever released. Uh, Clarence's solo never sounded better. It's just whatever Bob Clearmountain did on his mixing board with 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 the original multitracks is tremendous and clarence sounds great the whole band sounds great uh, we need to talk about that how it is such a massive upgrade from the nugs release from uh what was it 2018 release this just blows it away there's just there's just no comparison 
Oh, I totally agree. And and just to dispel anything, and you address this online, there are no modern overdubs in this, correct? That is absolutely correct. There's nothing nothing recorded after September 20 or the early morning hours of September 23rd, 1979. This is all this is all vintage, as they would say. So so you're saying there weren't even any overdubs in here that could have been recorded in 79 for the original album? Oh, well, that I have no idea. Uh, to me, it, okay. it, yeah, because it, there is some speculation and it does seem very yeah, possible. Because, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Okay. I mean, I could listen to something and be like, oh, okay, that sounded like something that happened 10 years later. No, no, no. This is not the case here. This everything sounded exactly like it does from the uh, from the Nugs release and, and from the original No Nukes films. I don't No, No, if there's speculation, you better have something to back it up. Well, there has been some information that perhaps he did do some overdubs for the original No Nukes release, which is totally possible because, as we know, back then, overdubs were an extremely normal thing. Someone cited that in Stay. Uh, there's different versions where Bruce sings one of the lines and Steve sings one of the lines. But uh, that's really irrelevant because any digital fixes they made for this project originally in 79 look that was part of the process and if if one or two of them remained on the master so be it but the important thing is and and we should be clear on this there were no modern overdubs which quite frankly is is ridiculous to think they would have done and really? in no way could he have matched his voice no oh my god his voice has changed so dramatically in 40 years and you know even his guitar tone would be a little bit different now and and all that it's just no, there, you're not you're not overdubbing something 40 years later. Sorry. So l- let's talk more about the show. Uh, besides Jungle Land, I mean, the highlights are numerous. The, the quarter to <laughs> Every three. song is a highlight, Al. <laughs> yes, it, it really is. <laughs> OK, go on. <laughs> I, I sat down and, and I said I was going to do this a couple of episodes ago. I bought the digital release from iTunes. I had it, I listened to it in 5.1, big screen, cranked up, and in a way, because of what had been released already, uh, and we did address this in the last episode, the Badlands and the Sherry Darling sounded a little sterile to me. Then the Thunder Road sounded much better. Those were the three songs released before the entire show was out. But when I sat down to watch that from beginning to end and just divorce myself from nitpicking or anything like that it was just it was 90 minutes of 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 tremendous pleasure to see danny and clarence and the band playing like that at their peak i don't want to go on too much but it it really it made me smile as i'm sure i've said on the show before this was my wife's first show this was this was what turned in turn turn her into a massive fan i mean she was maybe a casual fan she certainly a rock fan back in the 70s and but she didn't follow the who around. Let's just put it that way. So this really was a, a major moment for her. And I think both of us sat there uh, and I think we had smiles on our faces throughout the entire show of just seeing their energy. As you said, seeing Danny, seeing Clarence, looking, <laughs> looking at Bruce's knees and all the and all, and the angles that they could bend at, at that time without him pulling something was just just something something to behold. It really is. And I'll say the some of the flaws that are in the actual film, to me, they actually it sort of enhanced the experience Mm -hmm. in the sense that it made it really real and organic. 
And John Killick's essay, which I mentioned earlier, does address this in the liner notes. You know, these shows were filmed pretty much on the fly. There was no blocking. He talks about it, that cameramen were sent down into the crowd. A lot of people, for good reason, don't understand shooting on film. I never shot on 16 millimeter. We have shot Super 16 and 35 millimeter. Shooting on film is, is a very precise thing. And that send camera people down into the crowd shooting, it's really, really difficult. For one thing, as he addresses, film stock runs out. You have to reload the cameras. When we shoot a film and you're, you're done with a scene and the director says, I think that's it. We got it. The first thing you hear on the set is check the gate. And what check the gate means is check to make sure there's no hair or little dust or whatever on the lens. So basically what was going on here, there was no chance for them to stop and, and, and check the gate and, and to do all the things you do. They were just trying to scramble to get the footage in the can. And that's why in certain places, it's certainly a little deficient, you know, it made me laugh. I think it was at the start of Born to Run. There's like a shot of the stage. I mean, like the camera's just pointing down on the stage, but they must have had no other coverage and they had to have something on the screen while the audio was playing. Well, I, th I think all those slight imperfections actually make it make it better for me. It seems more authentic and it definitely gives more of a sense of of being there. If everything was really clean, it would it wouldn't. I don't think it would have the emotion and the energy that 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 it does. I'd like seeing some of the cameras kind of flailing around a bit, uh, seeing the crowd and seeing, as you said, the, the the floor of the stage. And that's I think that that really moves it moves me. There is dirt on the film. And to me, that also adds a bit of uh, a bit of realism and, and being there to to the whole film. It would have been a Herculean task to try and clean that film up. One of the shots, I think it's on 921 when Bruce is wearing the black shirt. When he's wearing the black shirt, it's the first night. When he's wearing the blue shirt, it's the second night. Every time there's a camera right in front of him in the crowd, incredible angle to capture the show. But every time they cut to it, I noticed there was something in the very middle upper edge of the frame that had been lodged there and, and was just oh, yeah. in every shot. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of checking the game, whatever, you know, and there would have been really no way to get rid of that. And it, you can't allow that to distract you. It, no. it, it's funny just having been in the position of, of saying, is there any dirt on our film and stuff like that? You, you always would like it as clean as possible, but you're right here. I think it's sort of, it really enhances the experience in, in in a way that because it makes it feel authentic, as you said. It all adds to it, and and it's the the sum is just it's, it's mind blowing. I mean, I, I'm not usually a as I've said before, I don't usually watch a lot of these DVDs or releases more than more than once. But I think this one's going to get a few more. That's 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 for sure. Well, one of the things that's interesting about it is because it is 90 minutes it is easier to rewatch. You know, mm -hmm. if they released an entire show from the River Tour, how often are you going to sit down and watch a show that's three and a half hours from beginning <laughs> to end or whatever it ran? It, it's difficult here. It, it The compactness is sort of an asset in that regard because you can just sit down and, and watch it in an hour and a half. And, and I think that for me, that also is going to lead to more viewings. Yes, the the, the tightness of it really really enhances it it just 
it's boom, boom, boom. He's on fire. The energy is just coming off him in, in, in waves, coming off the whole band in waves. And it's just, it's, it, you can't, it's hard to get not, it's hard not to get caught up in it. And I mean, I guess I, I'm kind of surprised we, we, we remained seated the entire time in our living room. Maybe it was because the dog was on our lap or something. But I think the next time we're going to make sure that we can we can get up a little bit and dance and get in tour shape for next year. <laughs> you should webcast that when you do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> let's let's uh, talk but, a little about the audio. Because wh- when the audio was first released for Badlands and for Sherry Darling, I said to you, I thought it was a little sterile. It seemed to be lacking in a little room ambiance. Then they released Thunder Road, and that is like explosive room ambiance from the moment the song starts. Now, as it turns out, they are from different nights. Did you? Per- I couldn't tell if it was confirmation bias on my part. Did you perceive that the audio from the first night, 921, has slightly different feel to it than the audio from 922? I honestly didn't feel that. I thought, I think the sound is consistent all the way through. I mean, I guess I would say that, I will say that the the audience noise at the end of Sherry Darling, when they start playing to the back of the stage, that does sound a little, a little fake, a little, uh, a little cheating was going on there, but. As you said, that's that's kind of common in live albums, but it's but it doesn't it doesn't bother me. It's I, I mean it it adds to it. It just no, adds it doesn't bother it. me either. You know, it's just it, it, obviously we're discussing the aspects of the release, and I did feel I, certainly the audio in terms of the music was consistent throughout. But I did feel, and again, I don't know, maybe it was confirmation bias that on the nine twenty one material, it did seem like the crowd was mic'd in a little bit different way or had been brought into the mix a little bit more. I, I, it, again, it maybe not, but I, I think throughout, I mean, the audio is, is a great listen and there's a lot of stuff here. The, the Thunder Road is <laughs> truly stellar. The stay, I, it's, it's just one highlight. As I said, it's awesome. Every frame from beginning to end. Yeah, and I think it's pretty cool that I don't know if it was a conscious decision on their part to give us the give us different Thunder Road and the and the river than they than they released on the No Nukes film. So we we still have those two other performances to add to to our collection there. Yeah, that was interesting, and it could be that at some point the No Nukes film is actually going to be re released. Who knows? That would be nice because I, I think that is a document. It's very rare that films from the late 70s are pretty much totally unavailable. And and that one, I believe, is. Really? It's not on any of the digital services, I don't think. Okay. Well, I think it'd be kind of tough with all the all the music rights, no? Yeah, it would depend on how those contracts were originally negotiated. We certainly don't have enough info to really comment on that. Okay. All right. And, and the last thing on No Nukes before we move on to our guest tonight, Ken Rosen, it does point out, and, and we did discuss this previously, it just it, it is a shame. It can't be reversed. We understand that. But it just would have been so cool, especially from the Born in the USA tour. You, you said this was the peak of their live performing, and, and I believe certainly 78 to 81 is the peak of their live performing. But we know we can pinpoint the peak of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, and that peak overall is sometime in 1985. And it's just, it's a shame that there's not going to be footage that will be of this quality 
from that tour, which is one of the most important tours in the history of rock and roll. But again, there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> well, we, at least they do have the NFL NFL films footage, even though it's not actually on film. So hopefully they can take that. And if if the video looks as good as the war video, I think that would be certainly be, I don't want to say good enough, but certainly of, of, re- of releasable quality. Oh, 100%. It'll be much better, certainly, than <laughs> I don't want to pick on the bootleg cut again from Houston, but it's going to be much better than Houston, that's for sure. And, right. and it'll likely be better than Tempe. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and hopefully it'll be a complete show and they'll have they'll have the full audio available from the get-go instead of missing 10 songs or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to the USA video box when <laughs> but of course it's, I don't know when it's going to come out. You got to think it it's it's a, it's a guarantee, but I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> Only time will tell on that. There's a lot going on in the world of Bruce and That's true. That's true. He has going to be a lot not, more going on it sounds like in 2022. Yeah. So yeah, grab your ticket in your suitcase as as Bruce once wrote. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. So with that, would you like to introduce our guest for this evening? Sure. Bruce has been active uh, in the New York area of the last month, playing Stand Up for Heroes and the, and the Robin Hood Benefit. Robin Hood Foundation benefit, and our guest tonight, Ken Rosen, was at both. And uh, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you, Flynn, and thanks, Hal. Thanks, guys, for having me. Oh, thanks for being here, Ken. We appreciate it. We're having you on to talk about the Stand Up for Hero show from from November eighth at Lincoln Center here in New York. Was this your first time going to one of these shows? Uh, you know, it was actually my third time at Stand Up for Heroes. I think I did the last two. One one had Sheryl Crow and one had Eric Church. I think those were the last two. It's hard. Pandemic kind of screws <laughs> sense of time up. Yeah, it kind of kind of did, didn't it? Yeah. And then you you videotaped the whole show for and then ended up on Backstreets.com news page. Yeah, yeah, I did. I I kind of got lucky. Um, the they the way they did tickets for this is um, 
I guess they had a pre-sale. So if you had gone to the show in the past, you could, you know, throw your bid in, throw a pledge in for a ticket, and then they kind of tell you closer to the event where you end up. Um, and I ended up in a fairly good spot, uh, about 13 rows back on the side, had a nice clear nice. view, and was able to capture that so everybody could see it. Oh yeah, you you did a really nice job. Uh, a lot of times I haven't really watched much of the Stand Up for Heroes performances because I figure it's going to be fairly rote. And yeah. <laughs> I, I watched the entire thing from beginning to end and I was really blown away. He was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it was, I had like the distinct impression from the beginning that in his mind, it was almost like he felt he had a band behind him. Like he just seemed ready you know, to like get out <laughs> on the road. And so the first song he did was a nice choice. It was I'll work for your love. I, I'm not even sure. Has that been done before at stand up for heroes? Yeah, he he actually has done that at a couple of Stand Up for Heroes. Um, I I think he I think that's one of the songs that he will dip into for that event. It's not like it, he plays it every year, um, but I'd actually gone back and checked, and he he had he had pulled that out. But you know, it's just so rare that he plays it anywhere else these days. So that was kind of a thrill to to see that. Um, it was a, it was it was a nice start, right? It kind of just set the precedent that okay, maybe this is not going to be the typical, uh, you know, like uh, uh, dancing in the dark, Thunder Road, working on the highway type of, of set that he does at you know Land of Hope and Dreams that he does at these things. So yeah, he kind of got that off to a good start. And then um, for me, the highlight was what came next, which was the public debut of Letter to You, right? That which was was spectacular. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch that one. Yes, I, I saw the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, what did you guys think of that one? It was, it was really interesting because, as you note, and and we'll talk about Hungry Heart, which came next, yeah. in a minute. He seemed to be animated in the fashion that you really haven't gotten at the other stand up for heroes. Now I haven't been at any, yeah. but I, you know, watching some of the videos and talking to people who have been there. He seemed much more animated, and I don't know if it's because touring is on his mind, because uh, I do think he's probably getting into that space as, as we get closer to what we think is going to be a tour announcement. But he just seemed to be totally into it. And I'm not saying he hasn't been into it at other Stand Up for Heroes, because, of course, it's a great event, and, and we know he really cares about being there. But mm -hmm. there was just something a little extra here that we haven't seen at these acoustic appearances over the years recently. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. He was he was loose. He was in high spirits. He was he was having fun. It just definitely felt more like his his stage, like his actual concert persona, in that uh, at that event. And not even just just stage. Uh, I felt like his demeanor was different than it was on Broadway this summer yeah. and, and the and the and Broadway one. It did feel like he was. Like he's ready to play, and and that certainly came out in le letter to you for me. Yeah, I, I I loved that song so much because that that's letter to you is a song that actually didn't really grab me so much on the E Street Band version on 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 the actual album. For for whatever reason, that song just like I appreciated what he was trying to get across. It just wasn't one that stuck with me. But when I saw him do that at the Teach Rock virtual event last year it immediately struck me like this song needs to be acoustic. Like this is, a, I know it's the title track to an E Street Band album, but it just works so much more powerfully acoustic. And when I saw it again at Stand Up For Heroes, I was that was locked in for me. Like this song is much more powerful when it's just him and it's intimate. 
I really like the band version of Letter to You, but I, I hear what you're saying. And there was there was something about it. There was a punch. And listening to you guys talk about how he owned the stage, to me, I think the best way perhaps to put it is he really brought Arena Bruce. And he certainly didn't have Arena Bruce on the Broadway stage for good reason. That would have not been, right. <laughs> I think, the right way to go. But he really did bring like his big oversized personality that we we see on the concert stage and, and he often doesn't bring to these smaller appearances because because he's streamlining and, and and he doesn't project in the same manner and here it seemed to me like he just decided he was going to go out there and sort of blow the doors off in a way that he, he wouldn't do normally at an event like that because for one thing we know he doesn't like to upstage a lot of the other people yeah no i i think you're you're spot on that we, we probably want to go in order, but I'll just have to say for a second, like the, the moment where it really kind of drove it home for me, like, yeah, this guy feels like he's on stage is, is or in a concert is in dancing in the dark. If you watch the video at the beginning of it, he kind of like leans back, like, you know, he kind of like bends his knees and leans back with the guitar, almost like he does, you know, mm -hmm. when he's playing in front of a big arena, <laughs> I just laughed when I saw him do it. Cause it just was such a, it's not something I've seen him do when he does it on Broadway or acoustic. No, it was definitely there was something more to it. I think you said the he brought his arena yeah. persona to that song, at least. I, I thought he brought it to Hungry Heart, too. Oh, yeah. Hungry Heart, we, we got to talk about that because, first of all, he's never performed Hungry Heart acoustic like that. I was l thinking back, I think the last time it was played acoustic was at the Bridge Benefit. Is Is that correct? He did no, it on he, Devils and Dust, I think, but uh, he, he, he did not. He did not. No, the last time he did it, the, the last time he did it acoustic was '92. Wow. Uh, at the Wait, you're, at oh, okay, the, you're accounting that as acoustic. Even well, that was not solo acoustic, but yes, I, I guess the version on June 5th at Warner Brothers was fully acoustic in terms of the instrumentation, right? Yes. Yes, that was a full acoustic version. Um, and then I thought he did it kind of in hybrid style a, a bit on that tour, at least the first, at least the first part. That last few weeks. Yeah, but and then, but they, even on the bridge show, he had, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't solo. He had Crosby, Stills, and Nash doing doing the backing vocals. I thought That's for true. sure he did it with Wolfgang Niedekin on the Devils and Dust tour, but I could be wrong on that. I'd have to go back and check. Ooh, this is this I mean, is like a showdown. <laughs> 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 I don't want. I, I think. I think there's this awesome compilation somewhere out there from that tour that I could and check. I don't. I, maybe, am I? <laughs> am I really misremembering this? That would be bad. That would be bad. That was. He would have been in Germany, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, because Wolfgang didn't come as the giveaway for that, but yeah. So. All right. Well, we'll have to check that out, and we'll we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll figure it out later. I don't think we want people to sit here as we uh, as as we try and figure out the last acoustic performance of Hungry Art. <laughs> No, but no. I, I, I actually well, what was hoping I would find that out from you guys because I I, uh, I was thinking of that at the time going, I don't know that I've ever heard it performed this way or, uh, you know, certainly not in, in that kind of a venue. So uh, uh, Ken is correct. Yes, it he was is. Performed yes, he is. June 28th, 2005 in Berlin. Did you guys My just bad. look it up? Worse. <laughs> uh, we use Bruce Bass actively. That is OK, cool. But let's talk about the performance of the song, which but was, was, but this, was solo. this was solo, not a duet. So we can we can go yeah. with that. <laughs> right. 
Well, then it's then it then it was the literally the first solo acoustic version of the song ever. There you go. There you go. And it was stellar. So let's talk yeah. about what you felt when you were watching it that night because it was it was unique. Uh, he he played it again. It was a song that he played. He's standing there alone, but yet he was playing it like it was sort of a full band arrangement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was playing it like a full band arrangement, and I was kind of sort of watching the crowd to see if anybody sort of realized the significance of the moment. And I'm not sure that people did. Like they obviously recognized the song, but I'm not sure they realized how, w- what a rare thing that that was. And and there was also this sort of awkward like, are we supposed to sing back to him? Like, what are we supposed to do here? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it did look like he he yeah. he put in that that like that breakdown that. Yeah, the place where the crowd would have sang at the towards the end of the song. Yeah, yeah, but but I, no one sang, huh? No, no. I mean, I, we we didn't. We were all like, it doesn't feel right. It feels like we're not <laughs> supposed to on this. So uh, I think we all we all like we looked around and people were looking at each other and we're like, we're just not going to sing on this one. Uh, he was. I think he was waiting for you to. Yeah, yeah. It was awkward. It's pandemic time. We never know what to do. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And then uh, and then he followed it up or he finished the setup with with Dancing in the Dark, which is yeah. And now that is a regular at these shows. It is. Um, and, you know, like I said, though, I think the thing that was different about it was the way he delivered it. You know, it just uh, it it I, it's really hard to explain. But like I said, just from that sort of pose he struck at the beginning, it felt like he he was doing it acoustically, but it felt like he was doing it electrically. It's about all I can say on that one. Mm, yeah, okay. it, it seemed it on the video. It, again, he brought a different energy to it that than I think the other versions that he's played yep. acoustically, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it with like just, you know, um, Broadway a couple months before, um, very, very different performance. And of course, with it being called Santa for Heroes, we have to talk about the four jokes that, that Bruce told. <laughs> I, was, I don't uh, think he tropes. broke any new ground here, did he? No, those I'd heard him. I had heard him sell them all before. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, he delivered. repeated jokes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you see, I haven't paid enough attention. So, well, I mean, my favorite joke is the voodoo penis joke. So, I, I love <laughs> <Absolutely>. that. <one. laughs> the quality I, I, joke. I, I knew the punchline was coming. It was still funny. <laughs> he can deliver a good joke. I don't think he could. I don't think he could do a stand-up set, but. But yeah, he's. Uh, I always he tells them, and they're usually kind of corny, but uh, I like them. There's just something inherently surreally funny about seeing Bruce Springsteen <laughs> saying the words "voodoo penis," you know, doing the My hand ass. motions and stuff. Exactly, uh, you know, <laughs> on a stage, and you're just like, "This is this is just weird." <laughs> so, but, it, it's yeah. it's definitely an interesting juxta, juxtaposition. I, I actually was watching some. USA tour footage earlier on YouTube, just just playing around, and it's like, wow, this is very different. <laughs> <laughs> very the man has different. a sense of timing. That's all I know is he he's got a sense of timing. Certainly as a musician, and he does know how to tell a joke. I, he does, and he's just he just enjoys himself so much telling it. It's just fun to watch him do it. It's, it's well, I think that he knows that there's something obviously he's telling, quote unquote, naughty jokes, but also, you know, the fact that he's delivering them. I think <laughs> he knows that's part of the fun. I, well, yeah, I think he loves to sort of puncture his own image. Right. So it's yeah. uh, an opportunity for him to do that. Now, you were also at the recent Robin Hood event, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool too. That was that was very different, um, both in terms of content and um, what should we say, ambiance? I don't know. But that that was a uh, you know, benefit for the the Robin Hood Foundation over at the Javits Center. That one was that one was a much more traditional Springsteen acoustic benefit set, right? So that one was um, oh, let me think of the order. I think it was Working on the Highway he started out with, and then Dancing Second and Thunder yeah. Road. If you guys have Bruce Bass up, you can probably check me on that. But, <laughs> no, you, you got it right. You got it 100 right. That was that was it was an interesting setup. For, I mean, that was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it was it was sort of theater in the round, so um, everybody was sort of seated in 360 degrees around the stage in the center, and none of the performers really kind of knew exactly where to stand, um, and so you, they just sort of like walked up and faced somewhere. I kind of had the luck of the draw where Bruce was facing away from me. So if you look, I think at my first video I did on that one, he's sort of away, but then I was able to capture him on the screen. But the other thing that was weird is that he was the opening act and he was like performing while everybody was eating appetizers, <laughs> which, you know, plate, you know, forks clinking on plate and people just chattering. And, and I think he was sort of uh, bemused <laughs> by that circumstance. It's been a while since he's done that. And and how did that performance of, of, of dancing compare to, to stand up that um the it was different and it was probably more akin to broadway in my memory uh than it was to the stand-up for heroes he was um you know i remember him being in good spirits at the robin hood one but it definitely felt more like what i had expected to see at that kind of event you know fairly safe recognizable songs that would appeal to a pretty broad cross-section of an audience you know people would know they could sing along to you know there wasn't really much room for him on the stage was really small you know he kind of had to pick a direction to face and so it was a pretty pretty straight delivery of it yeah that one looked interesting it certainly didn't from afar have the same appeal i don't think as stand up for heroes did but you know all these appearances are for an excellent cause and, and obviously it's amazing that he turns out for them yeah, I think, you know, it's it's great that he shows up. Um, the audience was definitely responsive. And, you know, we, we even like I think if, you know, for like hardcore fans, you look at it and you go, well, working on the highway. We've heard that a bunch of times, but it's actually been a while since he's played that one <laughs> or since he's had an opportunity to play that one. Right. Because it wasn't like a Broadway thing or anything. Um, so it was, it was really good to hear that again. If memory serves, Thunder Road actually was was had a bit of a spark to it, even if it in did. a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It was. uh Again, it was it was one of those things. So, so the Robin Hood Foundation. I know we talked about it a second, but it actually came first, and it was one of those things where you get an inkling, like, "Hey, this guy is feels like he's 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 getting ready to go out on the road and be in front of a crowd." And then at Stand Up for Heroes, you're like, "Oh yeah, like like get this man on the road now." Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you feel it coming, like the yeah. the the wave, I guess, is uh, is is building here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be seeing him again next month uh, at the uh, benefit for the Keswell School in New York with uh, Steve Earle and Roseanne Cash and Willie Nile. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what he's like that. Hopefully, oh, wow. at that point, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll even know about a tour by then. We'll see. That that, that would be possible. Nice. <laughs> it seems possible. Maybe there's rumblings in the force. So it, signs are looking good. Let's just leave it at that for the moment. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk about about your website for for a bit. Um, it's eStreetShuffle.com. Each street is spelled out. And yep. um, you have – it's like – you have three major sections of it, right? Or am I misremembering? Uh, I think it's four. 
Yeah, it depends on how you count them, I guess, or five. Maybe. I don't know. But but yeah, there's a few. <laughs> there's right, now, uh, good. No, you go on. I was say the 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 one that kind of runs every day without fail is Kingdom of Days, uh, and 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 thanks for that nice mention at the top of the show. That that one is that's that's basically the here's what happened on this day in in Springsteen history, and you know it'll have videos and newspaper articles and from shows and album releases and other I don't know notable events I guess. Right. So uh, it's, it's more than just a listing of, of of dates. I mean, you you put in some time and. Cure, curate yeah. a, a good entry for almost for every day yeah it's a challenge because every year it repeats and i have to go and try to find like can i dig up new stuff for this oh, wow. day okay. or not so i try to go deeper uh, had a chance to spend a few days at the springsteen archives this autumn uh, at mom you and kind of go through the, their holdings to try to come up with some new clippings that i can add this year nice. i've got a few things to add so yeah that one's kind of fun on that and you and you occasionally come up with some stuff that people haven't seen or heard before which i know there's been a couple of those lately uh yeah yeah i was really excited by uh there was down by the riverside I, i'm a big huge fan of the bruce springsteen band era right like that one year from summer 71 to the summer 72 and so i'm constantly on the lookout for anything from i just love the sound of it uh the big brassy jazzy loose prototypical e street sound um and down by the riverside was i think one that hadn't circulated before that is correct yeah yeah uh and it was cool right because it's like now that we've heard cool. now that we've read his autobiography and you know heard him talk about you know his family on on broadway that was a very autobiographical song pretty powerful i mean you do a deep analysis into into some of these songs it's not just you go deep. <laughs> I, well, that's that, that's actually what I started the blog to do. Like that was for that's for me. Like I wanted to go through his entire catalog, and do like you know the story behind every. Like I know there's these books out uh, that are awesome, um, you know, on the story behind the songs. But I really wanted to go as deep as I possibly could on everything, and not just like the big ones, uh, and not even just the stuff that was released on this, and uh, you know, see if I could see if I could understand what Bruce was trying to say, not just in the song, but placing it in context with what was going on in the world and in his life. And what else was he writing and recording at the time? And what was popular on the radio at the time that might've influenced it and, oh, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a historian by education. So for me, that's just fun to, to dig into. <laughs> Well, it's always a good read and very informative. So if people haven't checked it out yet, they definitely should on a daily basis. Thank you. And uh, and what inspires you to do this? Uh, I, I speak from experience. It takes a lot of time and effort. I, I started doing it because my wife got tired of me like telling her all these like toys, <laughs> and she's like, why don't you start a blog? <laughs> See, Flint yeah, doesn't have that problem. <laughs> Yeah, I envy uh, I envy guys who have spouses or partners who uh, share their 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 musical passion or interest. Um, I don't have that. She's wonderful in other ways, but uh, <laughs> not, not, not that. So I started a blog to basically talk to the ether. Well, that's share that. that all the better for the community because it's a, it's a good read, as I said. So yes, thank you, and we, yes, and we really appreciate you coming on with us and telling us about the recent shows and. Maybe we'll have you back on to hear about how the Steve Earl show goes. 
I don't, I'm not pleasure. going to that. Flynn, are you going to that? As, as of now, I am not going. I don't have tickets. But things things often change, but we'll see how it goes. Got to save our pennies up for hopefully a tour. So Yes, yeah. Let's Next year when he's goes. out with... Fingers crossed. They are crossed indeed. Thank you guys for having me on. This has been great. Once again, that was Ken Rosen. His website is eStreetShuffle.com. Check it out. And interesting stuff that he had to say. Yeah, I enjoyed talk, talking with him. I mean, he was at these shows, and I only experienced them uh, through the magic of bootlegging through him, actually. <laughs> so it was good to get a, a firsthand, a firsthand account of of the shows. Yes, it was, and it seemed like really good performances. As we said, it looks like Bruce is getting ready, and we are ready for him. <laughs> I think that's safe to say for the entire fan base. Yes, that's an understatement. Uh, people are just aching to go. I, I see on my Twitter feed. People are like, when is he going to announce? When is he going to announce? And hopefully soon. Generally, European dates are announced late in late in the previous calendar year. So we're we could be looking at an announcement pretty darn soon. We're we're looking forward to that. <laughs> we'll so, have a few, anyway. We'll definitely have a few a few thoughts on that. <laughs> yes. I, oh man, it, very very exciting. And... Calm down now. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> yes. We're still a few months off. Calm down. Can't Don't worry, we're not going to release an episode. The first episode after the tour announcement is not just going to be the two of us yelling for 10 minutes. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of boring, but uh, we'll surely a lot of be a lot of woohoos and stuff. We capture the actual excitement, though. Exactly. All right, so let's wrap this up. I will do our usual spiel at the end. None But the Brave is a presentation of Bull Market Entertainment and a part of Evergreen Podcasts if you wish to interact with us. Please seek us out on Twitter at NBTB Podcast or on our website, nonebutthebravepodcast.com. Thanks again to Ken Rosen for joining us and for Hal Schwartz. I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.